Listen for and hear the word of the Lord. John 14, 6 through 11. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus answered, saying, Don't you know me? I have been with you all this time. Philip, don't you know me? You do not believe? This is one of the most difficult topics um, because Jesus spent his lifetime trying to work through. I do not even know where to begin because if Jesus didn't do it, Jesus didn't convince any one of us of number one, who he was, number two, why he came, and number three, where he is going, then I wonder, who am I to try to convince you, convince the world, convince the church to believe? At this time in the world, it is the most difficult thing to do to believe anything. We have been tuned not to believe. It's in the news, so this is not news. It's in the news every day. And so I struggle with belief. Call it faith. I struggle with faith because Jesus himself, from this um, passage that we just read, is talking to people who had been with him all along. People who Jesus thought knew him. And suddenly, it's discovered that we don't know Jesus. And therefore, we don't know God. 
if we don't know Jesus, then how do we get to know God? And that is the challenge we are facing today. It's a challenge we've been facing. Jesus faced the same problem of trying to convince not only his disciples, but his followers and ourselves that number one, he is Lord and Savior, he is God in human uh, substance, that he is going somewhere, and wherever he goes, he would like all of us to be together. There is another problem in our day today. The church has not been able to draw lines of negotiables and non-negotiables. I'm talking about the whole church, not just this church. But we are part of the body of Christ. And the line between what we can negotiate and that which we should not and cannot negotiate has been blood. I struggle with that because John, the, the, uh, the Gospel of John, is written by somebody who sounds more like an attorney. If you have a bad case in court, the first thing you do is you look for the best attorney. I think the best attorneys are in New York City. But we do have very good attorneys in Atlanta as well. And John is acting as an attorney. John's focus is not the stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are telling. Those stories are good. Parables, where Jesus went, the miracles, the healing, all those are good stories. But John chose something different. He is aware of those stories, but he focuses on being an attorney. He wants to advocate for Jesus Christ because I think perhaps he saw that the whole of Galilee, the whole of Judea, the whole of Palestine, nobody seems to have understood who Christ was and why Christ came. And so John took it upon himself to try and convince all of us that Jesus is Christ and what Jesus did was true. What we find interesting is that first century Christians, first century followers, were the same as we are today. Convincing us is difficult. I don't think there's any amount of preaching. I am not sure that there is any amount of Bible study that will convince all of us because we are skeptical about almost everything. Indeed, a seed was planted from the very beginning in Genesis where the devil came and planted a seed of doubt. And so once you plant a seed of doubt, everything else is fair game. Those of you who are not paying attention to the news, just see what's going on. All you need to do is plant 
a seed of doubt. And everything else becomes fair game. So what is true and what is not? How do we even differentiate between what is true and what is not? Do we even believe that there is something called sin? Where did sin go? Not too many of us talk about sin anymore. And just this week in the news, we hear of a story of continuous abuse over the years of Catholic priests. Now, I'm pointing to Catholic priests because they didn't say Presbyterian priests. But we are all in it together because sin is no longer in our vocabulary. We, don't want, we do not want to believe that there is something called sin. Having said that, though, the belief in sin, believing that there is sin, is the foundation of a Christian, Christian movement from the very beginning. We have to begin somewhere, and sin became what is the foundation of a Christian movement as Christians. If we are not aware of sin, if we are not self-aware of our sins, then our Christian faith is futile. Amen. We begin by acknowledging, like we just said in our confession, that there are things we have not done. There are things we have done that we should not have done. And we ask for forgiveness. But I wonder, in a minute or two, we are going to say the Lord's Prayer, and there's this elderly couple in Britain some years back. They went to church, and they were saying the Lord's Prayer, and the husband was sitting with his wife, and what happened is that when they got to the point where it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. When he got to that point, he slowly walked out. Because, the reason being, he remembered that if he is going to ask for forgiveness and be treated just the way he treats others, he found out that it's not going to be possible. He cannot be forgiven. Because he has not been able to forgive, therefore, he may not be forgiven as well. So he got to that point and walked out. I'm also saying that don't walk out when we get to that point. <laughs> so of the four Gospels, John is very, very focused on trying to convince all of us that Christ is Christ and is God indeed. John is making a case for Jesus. John is an attorney. If you read the book of John closely, you will see that he is not an entertainer. Some of us pastors have become good entertainers. 
I would love to be an entertainer, but that's not the point. It's not comedy. When we come to church, we need to come with joy, yes. But again, this is not a theater. We have made church and the pulpit a place where it's theatrics. And John is telling us there are some things we need to put in order and make them non-negotiable. If you look at John again, he has handpicked certain incidents. He is trying to make a point. He is not interested in the storytelling of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is fond of solid facts. He's looking for facts. But the same John, in the same book of John, we see Thomas, who is now asking Jesus, where are you going? Maybe he's genuinely asking a genuine question. Where are you going? But if you go back to John 11, you may have read this in previous um, lessons. In 16, he is a very, very different person. He is not doubting anymore in 16, in 11, 16. He is the same one who is telling Jesus, wherever you are going, we will go with you. If you are going to die, we are going to die with you. But now suddenly in 14, he is telling Jesus, where are you going? The same one who was asking, saying that he would go all the way is now stepping back and saying, where are we going? I find myself getting to that point sometimes. I step back and say, hey, where are we going? I don't know about you. You may be better than I am. But we get to that point sometimes. We ask, where are we going? So Jesus is telling me to go and do some work, maybe in prison. But I'm saying, where are we going? Where, why are we going there? Why do we need to go? These people are criminals. So Jesus, you are saying we need to go to prison and do what again? We start questioning, and I've done that myself. So the question becomes, what has transpired? Where did the doubt come from? We are doubtful as to what lies ahead. But interestingly here, we probably need to sit down and do some good study. We have a good amount of faith, probably just a little mustard faith, like we are told. Because we, we believe that we will be alive tomorrow, all of us, or do we assume that we will be alive tomorrow? Either it's an assumption or we believe, one of the two. I assume that tomorrow will be Monday and tomorrow will be another day like today. That's an assumption. I do not know whether that is a firm belief. We don't know what life looks like ahead of us. We don't know what awaits us, and that brings us fear in our hearts, and in our minds. We are not sure. There is something dark and blank that we don't know. 
Convincing people to believe is hard work. And as sure as we said, Jesus tried it, it didn't work. And that goes to the, back again to the foundations of our faith. Faith in God does not come to us naturally. It's work. We trust too much on one another. We trust a whole lot on our 401ks. We trust in our social security. We trust in our leaders. We trust in material things, our cars. We just drive down the road, and on I-75, you're driving at 90 miles an hour. Sometimes they do that. And we're just moving along. But there are a lot of people who don't come out of that safe, though. Some don't come out of it alive. So why don't we believe in God even though there is evidence? And Jesus is saying towards the end of the, towards the, end of the, um, the passage that, well, even if you don't believe, at least look at the evidence. Problem is, you can show us all the evidence in the world and none of us is going to believe we will have excuses for it. Well, it's because he did this or the other, somebody else did it, or maybe you forged it, it's not true, it's not clear, it's not, uh, the email is not correct, I think uh, perhaps you may, hmm, paper is not the same. We have all these kind of small, small excuses we, we make. We don't believe. And that's a challenge for all of us. How can we believe? How can we believe that we, unworthy as we are, undeserving as we are, we are people who are undeserving, and if we think we deserve forgiveness and love and be accepted, then we have to begin by doing that to other people. We have to do that to our neighbors. Love them. Forgive them. Accept them. It sounds very theological to say that because that's what we believe and we want to say that. That's not easy. Try doing that this afternoon. Try forgiving and loving and going to your neighbor and saying, neighbor, I just came in to say hello and I forgive you because your car tore my, uh, my mailbox last week. I forgive you. That's hard to do. It's hard stuff. And especially dealing with undeserving people, those who are in jail. Why do we need to go and build them out? Apparently, the... Uh, PCUSA General Assembly in Missouri last couple of weeks ago decided that they are going to do something actionable. And what they did was, in order to help the families, they went and built people out. Can't remember the number, but if you Google, you'll see. Now, that is action. When you bail a family out, a member of the family, you are helping the family to earn a living. Because what we have done 
with our jails is that we keep people there who cannot earn a living. They lose their houses. They lose their jobs. They lose their 401ks, their insurance and everything, and then they have to start all over again. So what PCUSA did was build them out so that they can go on with their life as they await a court date. Here is how faith comes. And this is the hard part. Faith comes with obedience. Period. If there is no obedience, without obedience, there can be no faith. Obedience is not that easy because if you go back again to John 12, there's one little verse we use there a lot. It's a sentence by itself. And Jesus was talking with his disciples and they're having a conversation, nice conversation, and he tells them, I want you to pay attention to me because I'm not going to be here long with you guys. So what you do is the poor will always be with you. Just give them a minute. I am not going to be here with you for long. Just listen to me. Focus here first. And we have turned this sentence into a football, all of us. The poor will always be with you. But if you read further, that's the reason why the poor are there. That's to test our faith. But we can have all kinds of conversations around this. As Christians, we need and we pray that we get to the point where we have some non-negotiables on the other hand, there are some things we can negotiate. We cannot talk about family values on one hand, and on the other hand, we are tearing families apart. There is always a right way of doing things. I am also saying that even putting people in jail, that has happened over the years. They need to go to jail. If I am a criminal, I need to go to jail. I'll serve my time. But at the same time, at the same time, we need to draw certain lines as Christians. Some things we can negotiate. What are our values? Do we even believe in those values? When we say that we believe, what are we saying? What is it that we are saying? Or is it just a mantra? that we repeat every Sunday, maybe on Wednesday evening service. These are some of the things we need to do. Obedience. Obedience to do what? There are a lot of things. Nobody expects all of us to do all those things. But I can choose one or two things that God may lead me to and work on those. There is nobody who expects any one of us here to do everything because we cannot do everything. There is a connection between faith and obedience. John 12, 8 is part of it. The poor, the widows, the sick. And we have sick people in our families. Let's take care of those people. Philip is astonishing as we come towards the end of the, uh, the sermon and at, at the same time the passage that we just read. 
It's said, Lord, show us the Father. And that will be enough. And the question that Jesus asked is the most profound question for all of us. All of us as a church, all of us as families, all of us as individuals. And that is the question that we should be asking ourselves as we go through the book of John. Don't you know me? I am sure Jesus must have been completely taken aback. You've been coming to church all these years and you don't know me? I've walked with you, you have seen the miracles, and yet you don't know me? That's been a long time. But Jesus is gracious and says towards the end of the passage that we just read, and perhaps this is also a good part for us to end, he says, even if you don't believe anything else, if you don't believe anything else, just look at the evidence. Just look at the evidence. You may not like what I've been teaching. You may not like the healing I've been doing. You may not believe what we have been doing. Going along and traveling across Judea, Galilee, and all these places. But please look at the evidence. And for heaven's sake, let us try not to twist the evidence. Because the evidence is there. The evidence of Christ is there. Believe. That's the hard part to do. Amen. Now let us invite ourselves. We have a song? Okay. Let us go into prayer. We would like to remember members of our families, those among us who have got challenges, health challenges. David is one. We mentioned Linda. And there's a whole list in the back of the bulletin. And each one of you may have names that we can shout out. There's nothing wrong with that. Anybody who has a particular name that uh, we would like to, or you would like us to pray for? Linda. And all of us pray for ourselves, too. And Jim told me this morning that uh, he is, and he believes, as he grieves, he believes that at some point, at some day, after resurrection, he will be with his wonderful wife. And I was touched by that because it is not easy to believe. But here is one man who believes. He just said it. He didn't know that we had, uh, he hadn't seen the bulletin. Let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you humbling ourselves. We pray and ask that you may touch us for our unbelief. We doubt all the time. We have challenges of believing who you are. We do not know. We don't understand. We don't acknowledge that you have told us that you are going and you come back. Help our unbelief. We pray for Linda. We pray for David Booza. We pray for those names that we all have in our minds, in, in our mouths about families who are facing challenges, especially health challenges, that you may be with them, endow them with belief that you are real and you are the God of the whole universe, the God who sees all of us in our hearts and minds. Help us to be obedient in order that we may come closer to you. We pray for our pastor who is having health issues, that we may help him get over and come back to work. Lord, we come before you again and say thank you for those who you are able to bring to this gathering today. We pray that you may touch each one of, each one of us here. You may touch each member of the family represented here today. We pray that you may give us shalom, the peace that passes all our understanding. We pray for the world. We pray for all the places in the Middle East, in Africa, in South America, where there is chaos. But we also remember those cities in the United States especially Chicago, where over 23 people have been shot just this weekend alone. We pray that you may bring families together and that they may have joy in you. We thank you that you have shown us Jesus who came and taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now is the time for us to respond to the word by giving our tithes, giving ourselves, and our offerings.
Praise God from blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy. Sometimes I am like Thomas, looking for facts. So I went digging to find the facts about tithes and offerings. And if you go to the book of Malachi, it says that you have robbed me or we have robbed God. And I wanted to know, how do you even rob God? And God doesn't have useful money, really. God doesn't need money to buy groceries. And I was wondering, now let me go dig deeper, and what I found is astonishing. It's the fact that we have denied services. So those of us who do not serve, you have robbed God of services, just so you know. It's not just the tithes and offerings. It's the services that we don't do, because there is plenty of work around here, but if we are not doing it, and I said to myself, we must be robbing God big time. 
But also the tithe is as important because the support of our local churches comes from all of us. And so, hey, there we are. I hope we don't rob God anymore. Go to service and do some work. Let us pray. God, we come before you thanking you for the gifts that you have given your people. We pray that you may multiply each one of those who have given today a hundredfold. We know these resources, you don't need them to buy groceries, but we know you have given us work to do with the same resources, to give back in response to your word. We pray that you may plant that seed in our souls. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Announcements are in the back of the bulletin. I will not go through them. It's 12 o'clock. If, if Chip was here, he would be telling me that it's way past time. So I'm cognizant of that fact. So please read the announcements from parenting and their reminders. We have meals on Tuesdays. We have, and especially our thoughts and prayers. And let's go beyond thoughts and prayers and visit these people. Make a call. Visit them. I'm sure they would love to be visited by any one of us here. So there's a whole lot um, in the back of your bulletins. However, our closing hymn now is hymn number... Ah, we got it. Sending us off. We will go out with joy. Having known that we need to be obedient. <laughs> but let me just teach it really quick. You know, Pastor Edwin loves these songs and he actually wants us to go out with joy. Amen. But it won't be joyous if we don't know the song. So let's go over it first. Just repeat after me. We will go out with joy in the spirit. We will go out with God and sing. We, we will go out with joy in the spirit. We will go out with God. We will go out with joy in Jesus' name. We will go out with God.
been here uh, long enough, but do we know Jesus? This is a challenge for all of us because when this question was posed by Philip, I can only imagine how it felt for uh, to Jesus having lived with these guys for so long and they had conversations and dinners and tea and coffee, fishing. They went all over the place. And suddenly he realizes that these guys don't even know who I am. So believe is not easy. So for us, the question becomes then, do we know Jesus? That is a question each one of us needs to ponder over before we do John next Sunday. Because if we do not know Jesus, we may have been doing a lot of work over the years for, for zero, but for the grace of God. That's the only piece that is indisputable. Now, go out and do the work. Let's do the work. Let's just be a little obedient because the question will be whether we have been obedient enough to work with the people who are undeserving because we are deserving. That's the big question. Amen. Go out in with Jesus. We will go out in the spirit. We will go out with God. Hallelujah. I go out with joy. Hallelujah. We will go and go out with Jesus. Let's go out with joy. 
Hallelujah. I will go out with joy. Hallelujah. We will go out with joy. Amen.